this podcast is brought to you by my company, DC Music. Uh, music publishing, music supervision, music education. Find out more at dannychampion.co.uk. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Behind the Music Business Podcast with me, Danny Champion, uh, my little music industry podcast where I chat to a load of people within the music industry about their life in the music industry, about the music industry itself and yeah, try and learn a little bit about some of the areas of the music industry that I don't work in um, and about how people have traversed the industry throughout their careers. Uh, this week's episode is with artist manager and now uh, label company group owner uh, Jamie Osman. Um, I know Jamie from way back maybe 2010 uh, when he was working with um, acts like Def Havana and maybe a little bit after that Lower Than Atlantis. Uh, so when he was firmly entrenched in the rock guitar music scene. Um, he is now, as I mentioned, the owner of um, Easy Life Entertainment Group, which is a group of companies uh, including Easy Life Records, Real Life Management, Turn the Page, PR and Communications, uh, Don't Try Music Digital Marketing Agency and Bear Creative Digital Services Agency. Uh, so he's got a bit of a portfolio going and we talk about that collective of companies, talk about going it alone and going independent and what that means and especially what that means in well, in the current climate uh, coming out of, fingers crossed, coming out of lockdown in 2021. Um, he spent time part of red light management. So we talk a bit about his his career in management and what that entails and how he goes about doing his job and everything in between. Uh, really appreciate Jamie giving me some of his time. He's a very, very busy man. Uh, so really appreciate him jumping on a Zoom call and talking to me about all this sort of stuff. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jamie Osman. I try not to dwell too much on the past, well, 18 months, but how has it been for yourself? Um, do you know what? Liberatingly bizarre. <laughs> I don't describe <laughs> it that way. Like, like I left red light literally on the stroke of the pandemic. Um, so for me, obviously I had the label. Um, I'd invested in a PR company about a year before that. And I guess in my back of my mind, I was always thinking like I'd like to bring the management out of red light and into my own group group of things I had going on. Um, and then just as the pandemic hit, it just it, it it felt like the right time to do it, but also financially it was super scary because I was leaving a very secure salary uh on the salary very secure like drawdown consultancy fund to go into the complete abyss but in doing so i learned so much like i've invested and i co-own a um digital marketing agency which i've spent a lot of time developing over the pandemic um my management clients have been really have been have, they've struggled a lot but obviously we found new ways of making money or we found new innovative ways of doing things so i, I think with that in mind man like i i actually now feel more impassionate more passionate sorry about my path career path because i now own everything i'm doing and i have a collection of companies that i love and i feel like i've got a very interesting roadmap in front of me to grow that mm -hmm. um bring partners on board and invest in new businesses and you know grow the label and the management's still a massive part of that but i think i think when you're own, when you're under pressure you know when you've got when you've got a figure above your head that says you need to bring this amount of money in or it's going to be tough i think Weirdly, I think if I stayed it at red light, although I would have had a good year financially myself, like if, 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 if the dots hadn't connected financially there, I'd be more stressed about letting them down financially. Whereas now I've actually been more innovative and more, I guess I hate to use fucking word, entrepreneurial to, to, try, <laughs> and, to try, and, try and do new things, you know? So uh, essentially, long story short, weird, weird one, but I've learned a lot and I'm really grateful for that. Okay. Well, rather than doing things in chronological order, let's, let's, chat a bit about easy life group then yes that um 
it's kind of it's grown i guess i guess it's 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 a bit of gradual thing over time and it's kind mm -hmm. of you've gone into each of the different companies in a logical order or has it just been right place um, right time you've obviously got there's label management pr uh digital marketing and yeah and a web uh web agency as well web yeah. company um so i do you know what i think i would try and say this without sounding without sounding like i'm really trying to force an agenda that i'm like oh this is the amazing thing you're doing my thing was always i felt like i've always believed in good people let's put it that way i've always believed in good people and Throughout my time in this business, I've noticed there are a lot of really amazing people working for other people. Most of them amazing too. But a lot of them didn't necessarily have the ability to go out on their own and fail on their own because they were scared of failing and therefore needed a structure or a salary or something like that, which I get in your 20s and your 30s in music, you need that security. So very early on, obviously, the label with Sony was amazing and I went independent and again, was scared of failing. And I met this guy called Matt. His background is in um, tech, so phone systems and things like that. And he was just really interested in helping me grow. Again, didn't really, my catalogue was with Sony at the time. So I was kind of this like, yeah, I'd had loads of success, but I was coming out with a label with no master rights or revenue. It was like starting from scratch again. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, years later, we ended up negotiating a catalogue back, which, which was great. But at the okay. time, it was nothing. So he just saw something in me. And, and I knew I didn't want to take on like a massive investment. And I didn't want to go and partner with another big music company because I'd just come out of that Sony system. So my whole thing with the label was I want to start 50-50 deals, you know, no major sort of like label terms. I want it to be completely joint ventures with the artist and management. Yep. Spend to be really transparent. And I, and I basically met this Matt guy and he gave me some seed funding. It was really not a lot, like 40-50k to go and sign our first two artists. And, and we literally built everything from scratch from that point. So I didn't want to take that ethos into everything else I was doing, which is essentially find amazing people, give them that comfort blanket to kind of, you know, come and we'll set something else interesting up together, but let them win in that revenue. So whether that's like a salary plus bonuses or salary plus percentage of the revenue or like you own this company with, with us or with me. So anyone that works with me, I guess they work with me, not for me. Mm -hmm. So even though the group, obviously I have a senior role in it all of the subsidiary companies are co-owned by anyone that's involved with them. So even like with real life management now, that will be an LLP. So even if I bring on other managers, they'll be a partner with that in me, whether they're a, with me, sorry, whether they're a senior or a junior or whatever their role is, they'll be a partner because I believe in supporting people to, to be the best versions of themselves in, in this job. And I think, I think you have to reward people for that and wanting to kind of do it. So that's kind of, that was kind of the idea of the group was like, you know, I've had interest in all these things before and, what can I do to help other people in situations like I've been in when I was younger or kind of when you're there going, you know, I remember when I was a really young manager and someone offered me a you know, very low salary management job, but you're like, oh, do I take the security? You know, what do I do? And I, and I chose not to. And then obviously death of Anna stuff happened and, and then I joined Red Light and here we are today. But mm -hmm. even with that Red Light deal, that was very much like you were working with them, not for them. So that, yeah. again, it was that kind of why I taught, was taught that collaboration partnership. But yeah, that's been the idea of the group, man. So the, the label obviously came out of Sony. Um, we went independent. Then we bought into Turn the Page and Mark, which is the, the press company, um, coming up for three years ago now. Mm -hmm. And then Real Life went independent a year ago. And then we bought Don't Try, the, or bought in. So I want to say bought, I don't mean physically bought, yeah. bought into the group. Um, don't Try in August of last year. And then Bear Creative was set up in September of last year. So it's been a really nice journey. And again, like, just all really amazing people, you know, varying from 22 to, to 35, 36 years old and a really great group of people that I really believe in and hopefully we're doing some really good stuff together. And was there, were you kind of sitting there just, you know, for instance, before Bear Creative became a thing, were you sitting there going, I think we should we should add this type of business to, to the group or was it just right place, right time, meeting no, the right what? person at the right time? That's an interesting one because Tom that runs Bear Creative he he was just a kid in a band that signed to the label right. and he was just so good at websites and was so so innovative with what he was doing and was doing things in a different way so i just got into a couple of sites then then separate from that he got approached by a course dealership to do their seo and got approached by a few other things so again it was like that diversification we have i mean this was funny we haven't even formally launched the group yet that, that's going to kind of come in the next sort of two or three months i mean everyone knows we're doing it so i can mm -hmm. talk about it but 
haven't, we haven't really put that forward into the, into the outer world yet. So with things like Bear, yeah, Tom was just amazing. So it was a case of, okay, well, does this fit with don't try digital marketing? Well, no, actually, because they're very much in the space of growing social numbers and growing brand campaigns. And then with Tom and Bear, it was very much like, almost more like, okay, a company comes to us and needs a rebrand or they need to do some more Google specific stuff or is it more sales focused? It, you know, it was really interesting. So yeah, again, just, just spotted something in, in Tom. It's like, you're an amazing guy. Let's just, let's just do something. And then he's now got, you know, a guy working for him full time as well. So it's sort of like that, that grew really quick. And, mm -hmm. um, but again, you know, that's his thing, you know, I'm, I'm involved in it, but that's his thing. And that's always been the thing of like, you know, when we catch up with stuff, you know, it's not, it's not an agenda of me going, what, what are we doing? Who's bringing the money and what's this? Like, <laughs> you know, you can keep on me and then let's just work out how we can complement that and what we can do to help it grow. And is your specific, are you, are you still mainly focusing on the management and the label stuff? And that's yeah. your kind of day to day? And that um, it's, or, or are you, are you actively there like taking meetings with potential people to be working with, you know, new companies to bring in over the next maybe six months 12 months 18 months but everything <laughs> no i think i think i think i think front, i think no you're right front front line obviously i mean first and foremost i've got a duty of care to my clients from management and label that i brought across so i'm not I, I never ever ever would want to be one of those people that's like hey guys we've done this for years boom button press i'm now running away and doing something else like it's not that at all and they're all really aware of what i'm doing i think day-to-day -day management 100 i still love it and i live and breathe it um and the label 100% the same, but but also I think I've just spent that last 12 years of doing this, building structures and building ways of doing things that obviously there's stressful times, obviously there's days that you're back to back and crazy, but you also have support systems and, mm -hmm. and people around you that support your way of working to therefore mean that your time is maximized in the best way. So, you know, with real life, I've, I've got amazing day-to-day -day Natasha that I work with and on the label, Mark kind of runs a lot of the day to day with me on that and yep. then obviously the other companies have got their people so ironically we had a meeting last week and, and for me it was funny because I was saying I, obviously when the world opens up again my aim will be to move into slightly more like I guess bird's eye position in just terms of like bringing because again it's been really tough in the pandemic because I'm sat there with don't try the, the digital marketing guys and you're going Jesus like you know with these new clients you're turning zero Instagram followers and 10,000 Instagram followers off of barely any spend and they're real and the Spotify's working all this stuff and you want to go and scream it to the world but it's been so hard to sit down in front of people you know and really talk about that so I think I think that will be over the next like yeah six or 12 months once the world opens up again like really wanting to get in front of people and kind of talk about this stuff because I'm, re I'm really proud of everything everyone's doing like they've all really spent lockdown honing their skills and trying new ways and again it's just helping people navigate their way through it and be the best that they can be which i think everyone's doing a great job of mm. yeah and the the uh the management roster how have your acts what have your acts been up to in i guess in their downtime i don't want to call it i've, I've called it downtime you know, but, you know it's, it's not it's so bizarre because for me as a manager i've actually had my most ever it's my most amount of tangible success that isn't financial if that makes sense in right. this period <laughs> so so since the pandemic this isn't bigging myself up by the way it's just factual for some context. please do since the pandemic since the pandemic i've had you know two top 10 records a top 20 a three playlists at radio one four hottest records in the world like, like it's been mad but obviously on the flip side of that the financial element has been horrific um and that's been the same for a lot of the artists so you know whether that was buried tomorrow or the cribs or like honey you know all of these years where these artists have had amazing success record wise usually they'd be coming into a festival season where they mm -hmm. would finally be seeing the, <laughs> the fruits of their labor and for a lot of my artists as it was for a lot of my peers in the business this was for a lot of people that break through year or should be in their breakthrough year so it, it's been really difficult because actually bar bar one of my acts sigma who obviously are, are a lot bigger and have had a lot more success and thus can afford to take way more time off or kind of can afford to be less busy yeah everyone was just plowing onto record cycles anyway you know so even like the very tomorrow record we had to move from april to july but i think in that initial period of the pandemic we just you know you were told information and as much as you thought it was going to be bad i don't think anyone thought it would be this bad you know from from top to bottom so when we got through that first lockdown in june or july i think everyone was pretty confident of getting through this and shows coming back again ironically the period we're talking about now august september and then it, and then it didn't happen mm -hmm. so 
all of my acts, we were we were so far into campaigns already that you couldn't just just pull the plug on them. Um, so basically, we just we just kept going. So it, it, it it's been really tough. I mean, it's been a lot of um, for a management side, I definitely feel like it's been more of a psychology year. If that makes sense, <laughs> and kind of just really being there for people and yeah. talking through it. Because also, like I think what a lot of people forget is that people live within their means. So if you've got an artist who's touring all the time and they're earning really good money. They don't naturally just, I'm not saying people spend frivolously, but you know, if you can afford a three grand a month mortgage, you might have a three grand a month mortgage because you never think that that's going to be taken away from you. So I think what's been really tough is when a lot of artists have had that ground rip from beneath them. Mm-hmm. It's just been trying to reconfigurate their businesses or help them get through it personally or work out what bridging loans you have to do or bounce back loans or, you know, some of them have had to go and get not normal jobs, obviously, or, or, you know, something in music we should all be grateful to do this anyway but yep. you know people that have been touring for 10 years then going back to you know being delivery drivers or cleaning patios which which you have to do i respect that they have to hustle to make the money but then having to come back at, at night and switch to doing like 10 hours of press you know yeah. in australia and japan and then go back to work in the morning naturally when when artists are at a certain level they don't need to do that so it's, it's that's what's been really interesting it's just like you know it sucks for everyone so i'm never going to sit here and go boohoo the music industry had it hard because everyone has had it hard yeah. but i think and again i'm lucky i've got three or four things going on so even though it's been a tough, really tough year for me personally and and my businesses uh, i've had a few other things going on which has enabled me to to, to 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 keep my head above water a lot of artists don't and, and haven't and i think what a lot of people also don't know is a lot of artists businesses rightly so pre-pandemic were set up in a tax efficient way that meant that most of them weren't on regular you know salary or regular income so when it came to even government seis support um they were struggling to get that too because their profits weren't showing that they were at a certain level because a lot of it was offset against the business for touring yeah that's what a lot of freelance fell through the cracks didn't it yeah so so that's been tough but yeah i mean in terms of downtime i mean you know i had some acts that really embraced the live stream culture i had some acts that really embraced you know patreon or trying to do something new and i had some that naturally shied away from it it didn't quite quite suit them so you know i think everyone's been different and i think hopefully now we're getting to this end point we can start planning again for the for the future but it's been a really um an eye-opening year to say the least but also i think it's not good but it's i think it's made all of us realize how unsustainable the business was at that point this last 18 months or so how much is it going to shift around what you're going to be doing once things are back are we just all waiting for live music to appear again and then we just all kind of drift back into what what it once was yeah (laughs) or is this actually going to be the kind of the catalyst to say okay well we can't put all of our all of our eggs into the live music basket we are going to have to think about the portfolio that is the career of a of a creator of a you know musician music artist and think about what else we can do you've already mentioned a couple of digital platforms but you know have you had those conversations already yeah massively um and i think a lot of it comes down to the whole industry culture because i think i think if things don't go back to normal or say which you never know could happen this thing sticks around for 10 years and doesn't get better obviously this is really doomed scenario um but i think record label culture would have to change i think publishing culture would have to change because i don't think artists and anyone in the business could earn money the way they were earning before i was you know i was talking to one of my clients about this earlier like you know under the typical major label deal you know 20 percent royalty but that's because you're getting tour support you're getting international promo you're getting flown around you're doing all this kind of stuff well remove that from the market where does that where does that where does that exchange value exchange go so then will we start to see more well, not fairer because i think it's fair when the exchange is what it is but will we start to see different deal models come in you know i feel like obviously with the label i'm doing on 50 50s and someone recoups for them paying them you know, so they're doing million streams a month they're paying them two and a half grand a month in, in profit right so they're kind of that's already one sustainable channel they're getting from so i think look humans humans are very um very good at slipping back into old habits and we're very good at just forgetting things happened. I was actually saying to my girlfriend today, like certain things in the news, she's like, wow, oh, it was a big issue two weeks ago and now no one's even mentioned it at all. You know, humans are very good at that. 
Um, so I think, unfortunately, I do think people will just slip back into it and, and forget that this, not forget that it happened, but it'll almost be like, oh, oh remember that? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things come back to normal soon because people will just see the money again and chase it. But I don't know. It, it, with a couple of acts, you know, we've massively reconfigured how we do merchandise. We've really looked at that as a, as a serious business. Um, obviously, let's not forget, throw Brexit into the mix and we're into it. <laughs> <laughs> let's you know, let's not make things too depressing now. <laughs> but you know even from that point of view man so like one of my artists is, is really big in germany and we've had you know we're setting up a you know a german specific warehousing to do all their to do all their um stuff from the brexit same with the label but actually that means that again like when i talk about learning a lot during the pandemic i learned to then perhaps i'm using a friend's quote but just, just pivot what you're doing right and then kind of see different ways because you were getting you know i was getting a vinyl delivered to someone in poland and they were going off I've got a 20 quid charge on top of this vinyl. No, I can't control that. So what can yeah. I do? Go and find someone in the Netherlands or, or Poland or Germany to, to house my stock and then ship it from there to help the consumer. So all of this stuff, man, has just helped people try and adapt. But I, got, I don't know, to answer your initial question, I certainly have taken things, learned a lot in, in this in this period to try and move things forward so that we're not fully reliant on live. But mm-hmm. It's just such a primary driver. It's such a primary driver. And, and I think that's what I'm re- not struggling with, but I really I, I fail to see outside of, you know, the big TikTok artist boom and things like that, like how, how a traditional artist is going to break outside of their domestic market if we can't travel or anything anymore. Because remember the old, you know, the old adage of, well, we can't do any promo in this market until the artist is here. Well, if the artist can't get there for another mm. three, four, five years, like do these records just get, forgotten we, you know we put a cribs record out in november which my first one was them and I'm, I'm probably one of the records i'm most proud of in my career like the whole the whole campaign was amazing but you just think shit what more you know how much more could we have done if i could have got them to germany for three days in promo and put them into paris and the team the label team did an amazing job of getting promo in areas i never thought we would argentina and peru and korea and they did such a great job but naturally with an act like that you then go tour it you know six, seven months later to follow it up and then the next record just steps up and just steps up and steps up. And you're there going like, are some of these records just going to get forgotten? Because if we can't tour them, do we then have to just move on to a new record? It's, you know, everything's going to be three or four years that I've seen for quite some time, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, I guess, I really, I, I was really looking at it saying, well, let, let's see how innovative some people can be without, you know, without the live side of things. And maybe even those people kind of going, I just... I want to make music. I don't want to tour it anymore. You know, the 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 life of a of a touring musician just isn't for me anymore. But actually, you kind of, you know, you, you outlined it there that it it's it's such kind of a central point that everything else bolts into, and kind of yeah. gives you gives the cycle something to to work around. Um, that's kind of tangible, I guess. And that's the key thing there is that if you you can't replace that stuff by just doing loads more online because the online stuff is is so much less tangible and if you miss it you miss it and all that sort of stuff so it's it's yeah it's a tricky one moving forward it's it's been interesting like there's a couple of new clients i've got who i've taken on during this period who are kind of teenagers and they're only used to this like they've literally started their band during this period so it's funny you know they make the records in their bedroom or in a local studio and they put it out and it's all online and they've got a really good connection with their fans but you know then one of them we signed a deal but then it's so funny like straight away within six months you know press and radio people are going oh we've got a lot of love on this app it's really exciting when can someone see them live it it always harks back to that you know yeah. oh we think we might be in for a look for this thing when can when i can i bring someone to a show and when can i bring someone to a studio or and i think that's the thing isn't it i mean you know i think with the world we're in at the minute like i said we adapt don't we i think if things weren't going to get better we would have to adapt and we'd have to find a way to do it. And I, but I think as well, there was such a period at the beginning of the pandemic where, especially in the DJ world, everyone was doing live streams for free. Mm-hmm. Everyone was doing everything for free because it felt like something for the fans to keep people yeah. engaged when they were unhappy. So all of a sudden, I guess that kind of value exchange got lost as well. So we kind of primed people to not get ready to pay for this stuff. So it then almost became a free commodity that people had. So then when people do pay for live streams now, I paid for the streets one because as, as you can see, favorite band ever. Um, and it was an amazing experience. You know, it was in Hackney Earth, it set different bits up in the venue. You went and watched this incredible experience. And I was like, that was well worth the 
25 quid I paid for the ticket and the signed CD I got something as part of a pre-order. But then so many people aren't willing to pay for them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, again, you're going to have to completely retrain people's culture to do it. And like you say, like, is that innovative enough to then push people into a different different lane? I don't know. Like I've watched a couple of them where they've done like 3D holograms of the DJs kind of DJing and you can log in with VR and, you know, be in a virtual reality. But I think we're in such an embryonic stage of those things being mass marketed enough that it's just going to be, you know, but then I see people like Whitey Sleepman with a Patreon and I'm sure, you know, they have done it in such an amazing way. They didn't make their record chart eligible because they used all the funding to employ their family and friends to basically build a hub that they create things out of and it didn't go through a label, like for the most part. And to me, that's a really innovative way of dealing mm-hmm. with the situation because not only are you feeding the economy of the people around you, you're actually rewarding the economy of your fans by giving them direct content and exclusive content and actually building that kind of, nucleus out so I, it, it's bizarre isn't it because like i said i think if everything goes back to normal tomorrow we'll forget about it i think if we've got another year of this i think everyone will try and i don't know do, i like do. i like to think that you know there's enough innovation going on that it's not we're not looking for replacements after all we you know we yeah. want we want live music to come back but people have now had 18 months of playing with some of this stuff and you add it to the portfolio. You don't just stop yeah. using. You know, it's not suddenly like everybody on Patreon suddenly comes off of it because they're on tour now. It's just okay. We've got that I think as that's, part that, of the portfolio. That's it, isn't it? It's about how you utilize all of that stuff to your advantage and how you basically. Because it's really funny actually. I remember I found some notes that I had in a notebook from 2012, 13 the other day, and I and I'd written down. In this notebook, I don't know where it's somewhere in my messy office, but it was basically saying fan subscription model question mark. Yeah. Um, I was doing a Defavana thing. And I was thinking like, because I remember thinking back then, like if I got 2,000 fans to pay a fiver a month and we offered them something amazing, what could we offer them to do it? And I just, obviously it just went off. off it. I just lost it. So I was a big fan back in the day of street teams and you know, old school flyering and that real like tangible fan to artist approach. And obviously mm-hmm. that probably stems back from my days of putting on gigs I've ever since that day been about like I always say to even my artists now like I had a band the other day that sold their first ever 30 t-shirts and they're like oh we only sold 30 t-shirts like you printed 30 you've sold 30 and that's your first 30 fans so let's keep those fans and then we'll get 60 and 120 and we'll double keep doubling that model has been out for years obviously Mm -hmm. it's nothing new and innovative but you're right there's now the avenues to make that a supplement to what you're doing you know, as well as everything else. But I, I, I just think, I think what happened with the pandemic, maybe, maybe you'll disagree, but I think looking in, so many people tried to do so many things so quickly. I think there was so much choice out there for a lot of consumers that it just became very yeah. confusing to work out what was the situation. And rightly so, because that's the whole point of these things. Things can spring up and go for. But I was disappointed not to see, and I get why, because they were struggling so much. But I think if there were a couple of, promoters that have kind of come forward and helped build platforms that were a little bit more I don't know I just felt so many of the platforms were so difficult not difficult to use but there were so many out there you had to download a new app or there was one I went on the other day where like I was trying something out and I had to download something from my Mac and then cast it to my television and then get codes for this and that which right. user experience was just quite tough do you know what I mean yeah. so it's just like a different way of a uh, different way of working but no you're right I think um it's something I'm really looking at in, in real depth at the minute, which is like, you know, what can we do alongside of this to almost be passive revenue? That comes back to what I was yeah. talking about earlier with um with the label stuff and why I always only 50-50 joint venture deals with artists because if, if we recoup, that's just passive revenue for them for the rest of their lives. And that's you know, as long as our term is, that's like, you know, that, that should be what's happening. You should you should want artists having to, you know, have a few grand in the month every bank that they can a few grand in a month every grand in the bank every month That's the one. um yeah, which they can just have as a backbone rather than okay well we're relying on the next merch check or relying on the next gig because that's to be honest that with touring bands that's what it became it was like you know when's the next tour when's yeah, the next yeah. festival and that, you know you're right this is not not sustainable anymore So in preparing for our chat, I was trying to remember, I was trying to go back through our dealings together and where it all kind of kicked off for you. Um, We spoke 
back in I think it was 2012 maybe about MMX. Yeah, oh Lord, yeah. You remember those guys? Um, but then before that, you've mentioned Def Vanna already. Yeah. Um, was Def Vanna kind of where it all kind of started to kick off for you, or were there were there clients acts that you were working with before then, maybe during your time at Bucks? Um, I think in terms of my like first step into the business, that was obviously when I was promoting those gigs back in Amersham and Wickham, sort of in 2007, 2008. So that's mm-hmm. kind of where I met, uh, you know, the Shikaris and Unit Sixes and the Horizons and Architects and We Are the Oceans of the World. So that was kind of my first step into the business. And then, yeah, you're right. Well, so when I was at Bucks, I was in year two and I was living with that chap, Matthew Roussel, who now manages the really great artist, Lauren Hibbard. Um, and he was managing the ocean at the time. And I remember promoting for ages and just thinking, it's not really my skill set. And watching him manage people from our kitchen and being like, this looks more fun. It's a bit of everything. And I kind of, at the time, was still dabbling in playing in bands, but I liked the idea of not playing in bands, but still doing something which felt more creative than booking gigs and praying that, you know, 5,000 people on the MySpace profile would show up. <laughs> um, so, the bulletins though, man, what a great word, Martin, they were back in the day. So, um, so yeah, no, so my first ma- problem management client was a local band called Lights and Sounds, and they changed their name to Venice, and then um, it was around the same time I took on Defavana, so Chris from Defavana was working at a place called The Glass House in Hawicken. So I had those two, but weirdly enough, because Havana was signed to Walk at Your Door at the time, which mm-hmm. was that sort of really amazingly, like, it was amazing what they were doing, and they had Havana, Love Atlantis, like, the Arusha were cool, they had loads of cool bands, um, but it was a really boutique operation out of Shropshire in... Um, and, and they were doing that. So whilst Havana was kind of rising, this Venice band, we, we signed to Mercury. That was kind of my first ever thing that happened. Yeah, I remember Venice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, nothing, you know, classic classic story. Nothing happened. A&R moved. Mercury, I think Vertigo. So it was Vertigo. So Vertigo got folded back into Mercury and that kind of went its other ways. And obviously nothing really happened. But that was my first real, like, step into, inside the wider business. And mm-hmm. weirdly, probably gave me a little bit of, like, um subconscious grounding for where I'm at now because I think at that point I was like okay this can happen in major label systems and then going through you know even with Havana we got offered a couple of major label deals but we chose the BMG Masters route because that was more artist friendly and then witnessing like a bunch of my friends bands get signed and dropped and signed and dropped and signed and dropped kind of naturally made me just be a little bit more like wanting to be artist focused you know mm-hmm. um all of it so I guess it's kind of been a really you know, it kind of took that ethos the whole way through. But yeah, that, that was kind of the start of my, yeah, 2010, I'd say, was the start of the, the proper journey. And you've mentioned a few things there with, with kind of relationships with majors and things like that. What is your, as a manager, obviously you're, you're trying to do what's best for your clients at any given time. You've had a joint venture with a, with a major. Now you're wholly independent. So what is what kind of some of those conversations that you're having with your clients about where you want to take them where they want to go um whenever a major gets brought up is that uh usually an easy conversation to have or is Uh that normally something that you're having to try and sell in are you and and the other that the final part of this is that now you've got this group of companies are you kind of Whenever you're working with someone on the management side of things, are you thinking maybe we can we could we can and should keep this in house? Um, I'll answer that one first. Yes. No, it's definitely the one on that one. I, okay. I firmly believe in. I've actually only ever signed one band I've managed the label, which was Love Atlantis into the joint venture at Sony. Um, I I could do that easily. I think I very much always believe in like the best people for the best projects at, at the right time. So mm-hmm. I think everyone comes with different you know situations and. To be honest, I haven't really signed a very, very early or embryonic artist since the whole thing's been set up. So maybe, maybe this is a question for me to come back to in a year's time. But <laughs> but I think, uh, but no, to be honest with you, man, I think, you know, I'll usually, if I start working with an actor, I have a very clear vision of where I, where, I, where I think that can go for the partnership. But I mean, when it comes to the major label thing, I, I love major labels because I think they do a lot of jobs that other people can't a lot of the time, you know, there's no, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. But I think you're now getting artists who are so aware of, you know, what they get out of it at the end of the day, um, whether that's rightly or wrongly, the structure of things is changing. You know, I think the same can be said for, for publishing deals and the same can be said for how the DSP pay the publisher, you know, all these conversations, which we've seen again, probably because of the pandemic, 
everyone's throwing these things up saying how how is the artist earning money so i think you know i've got trying to think across my roster across my roster i've got four things signed to majors three things signed independently and and, and currently nothing unsigned so mm-hmm. you know um i've got great relationships with a lot of those people and, and again it's about that value transaction right so i mean but also it's not just about oh what's the bigger you know what's the biggest advance is that is that value exchange making sense because the deals just aren't like that anymore so i think it's just about if, who are the people there you know um at, so ali tan i don't know if you know ali who used to work with me um on my easy life stuff when he was at uh, sony and then when that went into red essential right he's now head of marketing at polydor and he's one of the most amazing innovative market marketers i've ever worked with so if they come came knocking at my door and said this guy's going to be running your project i'd tell any band to probably take no advance because this this guy mm-hmm. is incredible and is going to completely transform your life yeah. so Maybe wouldn't do that for business, but you, you, you get the premise. You get the premise of what I'm saying. So, but but you know, so so I think it it all comes down to people at the end of the day. It all comes down to people, and this business, as much as anything, is a lottery, right? And it's a it's I, I always say it's a roulette table, and obviously, you can throw as much money as you like at something, and it and it doesn't work. Sometimes you can spend barely any money, and something something flies, and that's just how it is. So, it's all calculated risk, and I think with each project, you've got, you know, you've got artists and bands that fit different things so there's a new good example a new band i've got called police car collective that's signed to three beat which is a subsidiary of universal and they they're traditionally like a dance label these guys aren't a dance act and it's a major label deal but my god have i been impressed you know the streaming's been incredible the team's been amazing the weekly calls have been really exciting and you're like great because that's that's ultimately what you want isn't it people championing your artists people yeah. that really care about your acts and look i've done numerous numerous quote-unquote i guess label services deals or you know distribution deals maybe with people and you know they can be amazing black honey's a a a label services deal through the orchard and they've been incredible you know we had a number seven record with very very modest spend but again james moody who works there is just an absolute passionate intelligent marketeer who did an amazing job um i've had some campaigns i've done on my own through label services where you're just kind of there going geez, like this is really scary and tough, you know? So I, I do believe in numbers of, I do believe in opinions and groups of people and being able to sit and discuss stuff. So, but art, artists are super aware now, like artists know ultimately that, you know, it's that classic thing. I always hate it when artists, when I'm getting screwed over, it's like, well, you have to look at the value balance. You know, would you be at this point without the system that you've gone through in the first place? Mm-hmm. And maybe there gets to a point where there is a conversation about renegotiation or there is a conversation about changing the terms of your deal, but. I think people, myself included, you're very quick to forget the journey that you went on. And you kind of often only look at where you're at now and then go. And that's something I always try and do personally. Just think about 10 years ago where I was, you know, sitting in my bedroom, tiny little flat, trying to hustle gigs on MySpace for 50 quid for bands to where I'm at now and just kind of be really grateful of that journey and just just be in the moment. Because we're all so guilty of like, looking super far ahead what's next what's next what's next we, yeah. we often don't look at how we got there and what decisions we took so i, I guess yeah I, major label independent whatever everyone's got their opinions on it but i think you know what what makes sense for the right people and I, I, like i say are they the right people that that just has to be you know the core the core of anything that you're doing yeah and i think you've 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 definitely hit the nail on the head there that it's less about the company and it's more about the people there and those people can move around as well so you you mentioned in passing that you like the look of what your flatmate was doing when it comes to to band management so what is it about management that really uh gets you motivated still at the moment Not what is it paid. No, <laughs> <laughs> Take no, um... his money no, 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 mate. I, I, do you know what? Like, it, it, that. But that's the thing with management, right? Because the the UK model in particular, obviously, the American management model financially is quite different. The UK management model is is twenty percent of net, right? So, you when you get into something, you have to believe in it so much. Because for so many years, you're often earning nothing. Yeah. You know, you're developing, you're growing. Sometimes you're even investing your own money in these things. So you know, you have to, you have to be so passionate about it. So ironically, the thing that actually 
it's it's funny actually because I, th- I always think about management and money the two things don't even cross in my head because to me management's so it's such a passion business because ultimately what you're doing is you're finding something you think is incredible for me it's always been about like l- either lyrical or tonal i've always like even back through you know mmx or francesca or Jeff Havana, it was always about like the tone of the vocal and what the story they were trying to tell mm-hmm. and even now with the label father son or amber run or it's always been about like what's the story of this um so when I find something now where I'm like, can I be a part of this journey and really help us try and build something? That that's what drives me. You know, that is ultimately what what drives me, and, and I hope drives me forever because I, I never want this to become purely financial. You know, that's that's definitely not what I want this to be. So, or even about like, you know, I've turned down clients that were probably big, I guess, big clients, but it just wasn't about it wasn't about it's never really been about money for me. So what drives me in it honestly is just like. I don't know, like these, these two kids in Liverpool, Police Car Collective, like I just see something in them. And they're just like, you are, you're teaching me something. And I, I think that's what it is. Like in management, are you still learning? Are you still growing? Are you still pushing yourself to learn and change? Because ultimately, like I'm 32. I think in my head, that's quite young in the grand scheme of the business. Because I sit down with people that are 60, 50 all the time. But then I meet artists who are 15 years younger than me. And they are so far ahead of where... I am in terms of knowing about certain things and that that to me is, is, is the key so yeah honestly uh, I don't know man just 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 what drives me yeah just just learning honestly learning and, and being able to be part of that that journey because you learn something new every day like even this conversation today you've said something I've gone oh yeah I need to think about that tomorrow and, and that will then spark me learning something tomorrow because I'll go and research something and, and, yeah, yeah. and I think that's part of what management management really is but yeah it's just being part my, honestly like what drives me being part of that journey and and it's funny because i've sat at sold out brixton's when i come back to talking about being in the moment i remember my first ever sold out brixton i was sat there and i was going how am i going to get to wembley how am i going to get to ali pally why why wasn't the record number 10 why wasn't the record in the top five and you're sat there and thinking like that's not that's not a good way to be thinking and that's not enjoyable but then when i go back to thinking about my first sold out bar fly with an artist i was like hell yeah i'm in this moment like 200 kids have come to see my band and it was just amazing mentioned a bunch of bands you've you've mentioned you know you work with Def Havana you've worked with Lower Than Atlantis you knew all the Enter Shikari guys you know there's there's a there was there's definitely a theme running through yes uh, a, a theme of of rock of rock running through everything now obviously the roster that you're working with now isn't solely that yes. the label roster isn't solely that um yes. was that a have you kind of made a concerted effort to kind of broaden and just look at whatever you think is good or was the idea to begin with was right this is my niche this is what I know this is where I'm gonna gonna stay or has it kind of just kind of shifted Um, organically you know what man like it's funny because I probably wasn't much of a like a scene kid if that makes sense like I guess my musical upbringing was very much like my mum loved reggae, my my like my aunt loved the Cure, 90s rave music I kind of got brought up on. So I never really got introduced to any rock music until I was like in year seven at school and people started playing Nirvana and stuff. So although I started going to gigs in that world, I guess my, I guess like the tapestry of what I had as a kid was so not rooted in that. So it's funny because I actually always had this internal battle because I was kind of known as like the rock guy. But I, in my head, I'm like, well, the first band I signed was a pop act to, to Mercury. I just kind of, the rock band got successful. Right. So I think, like, you get put in that in that world. And if you remember, I had, there was an amazingly talented girl called Portia Khan that was signed mm-hmm. to Lab Records. Like, she was kind of, she was definitely in the pop lane. And then um, even back in the early days, I tried and failed to manage a couple of DJs um, who were really talented. But I just, again, I was stuck in that lane. So I, I think what then happened was, in my head, it was like, okay, be the best at what you can do before you try and do anything else. And and funnily enough, I took that into my campaigns with artists because I started seeing loads of rock bands try and be different things before they got to the biggest rock point. And then all because you know you had these bands going like we don't need to be Kerrang, and then all of a sudden like they'd lose their fan base because they completely alienated them. <laughs> so I think in my business in my business head it was like okay well this is obviously working. You've had top ten records in this genre. You're well known in this genre. So let's accelerate that 
And then when I was at the point where I felt like I had enough accolades under my belt to go and discuss with clients or that I was at the point where people would, I guess, I guess take me seriously. Because you've got to remember, I was still like 23, 24 at the time. So even though I had, I guess, had the statistics underneath me, I wasn't necessarily, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say I was necessarily taken overly seriously a lot of the time. Because also the rock genre at the time was almost like, it was having a moment, but it was definitely still like the odd one out. You know, you had a couple of bands signed to majors, but on the whole, these bands were doing stuff, you know, that was pretty, pretty out of the box. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. And then it just took, it's it a certain point where it then kind of, you know, I've always been into, you know, one of my favorite bands is Oasis. So I guess really like the indie lane was probably naturally where my head was always at. So then when, mm-hmm. you know, the Cribs or Black Honey or these kind of artists came along, I was like, okay, well, this makes sense. And then dance music, my main passion a lot of people probably wouldn't know that that know me now okay. or know me since i was doing music in my, in my 20s plus because i wasn't but you know when i was 18 i was out in nightclubs and dancing to dubstep and drum and bass and house music so so it, that was always a decision that i was like well i want to do this because i actually love this so much and it's funny because i you know it's mad people look at the roster and go well you've got very tomorrow and sigma like that's absolutely crazy um, but at the same time it's it's amazing for me because I grew up in one of the worlds. I know everyone in it. And I don't get me wrong. I love, I love rock music. Like I still get super excited about a new Bring Me record or a new Architects record or heard that new Sleep song on the radio with Simon Neil for the first time today. And I was like, this is a jam. Like this is amazing. And I still venomously harbor that passion for rock music to be successful because I came from it. Yeah. But there's nothing I love more than going out and finding great dance records or top lines or, you know, working a different way. Because also like, I think, the psychology of those worlds is very different. So I've noticed very much so in the rock world, because the struggle is so real and so, so tough, management in rock is very, very different to management outside of rock. And that's something that I've grown to learn over the years. So I think now, if I'm being brutally honest, it would take a lot for me to sign a brand new kind of scene rock band, just because I've been through it so many times. The journey's really, really tough. And I think it's I'd say definitely played on my psyche quite a lot like just just relationships with band members or like how that world can make you feel or I very much grew up making my mistakes in public because my eyes were big do you know what I mean and I was still a kid managing bands and I was still learning so so much so I think there's the rock culture is very much fear of failure but also fear of wanting to to push further if that makes sense it's very yeah, much yeah. like comfort but then also there's an inherent like under level underlying thing sometimes of like what's this band doing? What's this band doing? Why are we doing what this band's doing? Mm-hmm. Everyone's always looking at each other a lot. Um, that's changed now with a lot of the bigger acts because they've gone on to do so, so, so well. And that's amazing. But definitely around that 2012, 13 time, it was so competitive. And if anyone says that they were supporting their mates, not from a, my side, from like an inter-band level, they're pretty wrong. Cause I remember this thing to be, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like anger at anyone. It was jealousy. Why yeah, is this yeah. person one? Why, why are we not at this level yet? And then it's funny because then you work in like the dance world and because, and I get it because with rock and guitar music, it's like, well, we've spent three months making this record in the studio and we've put this, all our effort into this album. If it doesn't succeed, rightly so, like you're going to be, you're going to be bummed out. Whereas in the dance world, it's like, okay, cool. I made this tune. I put it out with Dean Connect. What's the next record? You know, mm-hmm. and obviously like that, that, that is probably a bit of an overarching, like, you know, obviously people care about it more, but I think the conveyor belt's very different. Yeah. people are on very very different paths in those worlds so i think yeah as i said i think for me like it's it's funny you say that because i definitely remember i even remember being at red light and someone in, introing to me to someone as the rock guy <laughs> me thinking, oh my god oh, like, really? my life. And there's nothing wrong with that because you know raw power what an amazing company what an amazing group of people who've broken some incredible incredible bands and that's what they live and breathe and they've done such a good job with it 5b the exact same like great people and great companies but for just my journey personally was never set out to do that to do that well so that again that's why i've made some conscious decisions over the years just to not bed myself in it yeah, yeah. It but and even now with the label, you're right like the label started off very much in that world because i knew what I, that was what i knew and, 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 and you know i knew and i was able to make a real difference in those early stages of kind of mm-hmm. shifting through the years to get people to a certain level but now it's again for, fortuitous i guess but just in a position where I don't need to, I can just sign what I really, really, really like now. And I, I, my, 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 my label ethos has always been like, 
honest music for honest people because it's all about the lyrics and it's all about the journey yeah, yeah. and it's all live. So that's since 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 I'm fully independent, it's like now I've got I've got to literally want to listen to this record and repeat, otherwise I'm not going to put it out. Okay. That's not. You know, I'm not in the business of twenty releases a year just to bring in the cash. Like I've got to love it because because being an independent label with two people running it day to day, like you have to love it, really love it. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you you made an interesting point there that you know you didn't diversify too early. You knew the lane that you were in. You were doing well in it. So even though you didn't necessarily always want to be thought of as the rock guy, you knew that actually, yeah. at, for a time at least, it was Absolutely. the best person yeah. to be, rather than you know, for instance, you wouldn't turn around to someone who's thinking of doing the same as you now. And going right what you need is you need to get uh, a metal band a dj uh, a singer songwriter <laughs> and a classical cellist on your on yeah. your roster and do all four of them because they're completely completely different projects with very little crossover yeah and i tried and failed at that i mean that's that 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 is my one well there's numerous but one of my best things i could ever say to anyone starting in this business is like don't be afraid to fail you know, because you will fail and it's how you learn from failing. You know, I look back now and go, would I have signed a deal with like that? Or would I have taken on that artist? Or would I have dealt with that situation in that way? And, and most of the time the answer is like, no, I've, 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 I've failed. Um, but I don't think you become better by always winning because ultimately you just feel invincible and no one's invincible. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We started this conversation talking about the pandemic, which is all a little bit depressing. So we'll finish it with a bit of positivity. Um, from your perspective, from the you know the the amount of time that you've spent in the industry and working with acts, where's what is positive moving forward? What is better now for creative people, for bands, for artists now, and also what's better? and positive moving forward for those people working behind the scenes? I think there's been a level of like camaraderie across the board that I feel hasn't been there for a while. I think people are understanding. I think people probably realised how we were living was really unsustainable. So I think people's understanding of, you know, I guess expectations on meetings, expectations on travel, expectations on everything has enabled. Like, it's funny because I look back now at pre-pandemic, and how I was jumping on two or three flights a week and how I'd be doing calls rushing between meetings or someone would call me and I'd be on like a broken up train. And I loved that. I loved that energy. I loved what I was doing. But ultimately, was that the best for me and the best for my business and the best for my clients? Absolutely not. Was me traveling into town for 45 minutes a day to do one hour meeting to then sit in a coffee shop to do some work to then travel back productive? Probably not, you know? So I think for me moving forward, the positive is that I think everyone's streamlined how they're working. I think everyone's really learned to look inwards and work out what makes them happy. And in turn, what makes you happy is doing a good job for people, but ultimately not at the sacrifice of yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us, you know, that ultimately we all do this job because we love it. You know, as much as you want to sit here in mansions of million pounds, like it's very rare in the music industry you get to that point. We all do it because we have a burning desire to wake up in the morning and make a difference to our clients or to make a difference to without sounding really hippie but the world you know I've, for me it's like always love this job because that song might save someone's life or that song might be played at someone's wedding or someone's funeral that i've been involved with that we've helped to grow so you know having that moment to really sit back during the last year and go okay well wh- why am i doing this what am i doing because i think you just put blinkers on don't you we all did for so long go, 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 go. Mm-hmm. I think that can be said of the whole the whole world, not just the music business. But, you know, moving forward, I honestly think people are more understanding. I think people are more, I don't know, I want to see more more empathetic, I think. I think people just understand more what people are going through. Like one of my artists has had long COVID and it's been really tough and, you know, we've had to delay campaigns, but people, people understand because I think for once the whole world is going through something. Yeah, so yeah. I think now when you're talking about the future, everyone's in an amazing spot. And I think what's really exciting i remember being at a house party once and someone said you're so lucky you grew up 
30 minutes in London because you've got more opportunities than maybe living up north. And I got really offended by that. I was like, of course I didn't. Like, what you know, I've worked up my arse off. And then actually now with the pandemic and people moving out of London and doing whatever, I've actually been like, as much as I was annoyed at that guy, I kind of feel like he was right because now people are working remotely. I'm seeing friends get employed in Manchester and Newcastle that never would have had a hope in hell of getting a job working from there before. Yeah. So I think for people moving forward or for students or anyone that's in, wants to get involved in music, like you don't have to come and chase this big dream of, you know, saving up for years to come work in London and doing all this stuff. Like obviously it helps to be amongst it, but maybe you can come in one day a week and stay with a mate or, you know, I think suddenly like the power is back in your own hands to, to be in control of your own destiny. You don't need to be reliant on being in town or, you know, working for a big company. You can make a difference mm-hmm. now where you maybe didn't see before. So that, that, that's the positive I'm taking out of it. I think it's given a lot of people, you know, self-reflection self-context and an ability to, to to do something exciting on their own smashing and last question what acts should i be checking out cool. that you're selfishly, selfishly for me that i'll you're say currently working with i'll say lows um which is a three-piece band kind of like london grammar they're on their third radio on playlist in six months which is really exciting so we're really excited for the future of those guys um they've written a bunch of records and features of camel fat and stuff like that which is great and then how do you um, spell that sorry how, what say, say the say the name again those how do you spell that l-a-w-e-s cool um and the second act that that was new for me is a band called police car collective yeah. that i've mentioned from based in liverpool and they're just yeah two two kids that never cease to astound me and <laughs> learn and grow and what's amazing is um frankie from from police car collective dates a girl called uh Cole and she's in a band called The Let Go um, and she shoots all the police car videos and then I think The Let Go decides a red light so there's these two bands that are just like super cool, super exciting, almost like a, a very, very early version of some of that culture you had in the, in the early day, hit days where you had two or three bands that were yeah, like yeah. growing together and, uh, and doing stuff, so yeah, that's but there's just, so, there's, do you know what, there's just so much exciting music at the minute, like I found this kid the other day called Matt Ryder, I think he's like 17 like guitar I don't know who he's signed to but yeah, just almost like, you know, just so talented. And that that's what I've loved about this this period, man. Like, I've actually just fell in love with music again. Like, I sat, you know, like, I'm sure you all did that first period of the pandemic. You're just, like, going nostalgic. I didn't keep us on repeat the whole time. But this <laughs> the records I hadn't listened to in, like, 20, <laughs> 20 years. It was amazing. Um, but in turn, by doing that, you hear new music, and it just gets exciting again. Where are you, where do you look for acts? Where do you do your a and not lawyers anymore actually it used to be very lawyer do you remember there was a period where like like i think and maybe it's just changed now maybe i'm just not in the, the epicenter as much as i was but there was a period where i just get emails from lawyers constantly about <laughs> new artists which is a very backward way of a and r but um they did a good job but i try and find stuff now i don't know like I, i'm not a new music friday soul searcher that's definitely not for me like i try and find stuff weirdly on instagram like reels or stuff like that like i'll try and like there's an act i've actually got a call tomorrow who i won't name but i just found this amazing artist and they were so good at like guitar and they've done some cool covers and i think i found them when they had like two thousand instagram followers in like march and then step forward to now they've got twenty five thousand instagram followers right. like, you're doing something good not that that's you know i still like get you know when i took on police car collective we had 50 followers on instagram so it's not like you don't have to yeah, see yeah. those metrics to see it makes sense but i think spotting something i always spot something make a little list keep an eye on it and then i'll kind of reach out when the, when the time is right so but that's the thing there's just so many ways now to to, to reach out to people it's um you too know, many it, it, again more exciting than ever before i found a girl on spotify the other day that I had she's only ever put one song out she's 17 the song came out two years ago and it's done like 170 million streams <laughs> like independently on her own label or her own like thing on like tunecore i was mm-hmm. like oh wow you can make six hundred thousand dollars from a cover you put out like three years ago when you were 14. Yeah. It's amazing. Cool. Well, thank you very much for giving me some of your time today. Mate, so, so nice to see you. I'm sorry it's taken so long. Massive thank you there to Jamie as I mentioned before the chat, for spending time talking to me about all this sort of stuff. Really, really appreciate 
everybody's input into this little endeavor that I've been doing for the last couple of years. Um, hope you out there who do listen to this, enjoy this. Please do share the episodes that you think uh, m- are meaningful with others out there that you think might get something out of it. Um, if you would like to get in touch with me, uh, you can do so via Twitter at Danny Champion on Twitter or at Instagram or on Instagram rather at DM Champion. Um, or you can email me on uh, behind the business pod at gmail.com. Or you can check out my website, uh, www.dannychampion.co.uk. And if I can help out with any endeavours, mainly surrounding uh, music publishing or synchronisation, then please do get in touch. Um, Thanks again to Jamie for getting involved. Uh, Do check out his companies via the assorted links in the episode description. Um, or via Instagram, things like that. Again, all in the episode biog. And thanks again to all my other guests. Hopefully there's going to be plenty more of these to come. And thank you to you for continuing to listen. Um, It means a lot. Um, Feedback is more than welcome, so please do send correspondence over when you can. Um, But that's enough jibber-jabber from me. Um, I will speak to you again next time.